bless the Sabbath. We have a few handouts this morning that we will Mr. Usher hand out. You know, as I was listening to the testimony that Sister Sharon brought out, a scripture came to mind that the simple things confound the wise. And God wants to do the same thing in our lives. He wants to use the simple things to cleanse us from sin. Sickness and disease is a result of what? The Bible tells us in 3 John that, Beloved, I wish above what? That thou mayest what? And be in, even as thy what? Thy soul prosper. God wants to do something marvelous in our lives, brothers and sisters. And this morning, we are going to look at the principle of love. Now, love is a very broad, it's very broad in the Bible, but there are two principles, two principles I want to zero in this morning. And I believe that these two principles are going to be vital components to get us through the time of trouble. Let us pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I am not worthy to stand behind this desk. But Lord, I claim your promise that you said you would never leave us nor forsake us. And Lord, I'm asking that you would bless us with your Holy Spirit this morning. Speak to all our hearts, including the speaker. As we listen to your voice this morning, Lord, we're asking that you would transform our lives. Father, we see the nearness of time is right upon us. And Lord, we need you to do a rapid transformation in each one of our lives because we are not ready. But Father, we know that you are able. And Father, you said in your word that you are able to keep us from falling. So we claim your promise this morning and we thank you for hearing and answering. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> Brothers and sisters, let us turn our Bibles to 1 Corinthians, <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to be looking at two scriptures, and I believe that in these two scriptures, these two principles are very vital that I believe that's going to get us through the time of trouble. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to look at verse 4. In verse 4, the Bible says what? Charity suffers what? And is kind. Chariot envieth not. Chariot flaunteth not itself. Is not what? And the next scripture we're going to look at is verse 7. It says, beareth all things, believeth all things, hope all things, and what's the next word? Endureth, Endureth all things. 
Long-suffering and endurance is something I believe we're going to need, brothers and sisters, in these closing hours of earth's history. In the book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles, we are told, number one in your handout, we are told true sanctification comes through the working out of the principles of what? Love. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth where? In God in him, 1 John 4, 16. The life of him in whose heart Christ abides will reveal principal godliness. The character will be purified, elevated, ennobled, and glorified. Pure doctrines will blend with works of righteousness. Heavenly precepts will mingle with holy practices. So think about this, brothers and sisters. So if sanctification is the fruit of righteousness, what would be the root? Love. So what principle would you think Satan is going to attack us on the most? Love. The Bible tells us in John chapter 13, verse 35. Turn with me there. John chapter 13 and verse 35. The Bible tells us in John chapter 13 and verse 35. I'm sure most of you know it by heart. John chapter 13. Verse 35. The Bible says, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, finish it. If ye have love, what? One towards another. So love is a very important principle that the enemy is going to attack because he knows that if we don't have love for one another, how can we finish? We can't do it, brothers and sisters. And the enemy knows this, so he attacks us on that principle of love. But we know that there is going to be a dividing line in the last days in the world and in the church. And Christ warns us. He warns us in Matthew chapter 24. Let us go to Matthew chapter 24. The book of Matthew, chapter 24, gives us a warning of what's to come in these last days, brothers and sisters. And we're very familiar with it. Matthew, chapter 24. And it's interesting, brothers and sisters, that in Matthew, chapter 24, Christ warns us three times in the same chapter Verse 5, verse 11, and verse 24, he warns us, be not deceived by false prophets. Why would God warn us three times not to be deceived? We're going to start in verse 4. It says here, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that what? For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive what? And shall hear of what? Wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is what? For nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be what? Famines and pestilence and earthquakes, where? In diverse places. And we talked about this once before. And when we look at famines and pestilence and earthquakes, we attribute that to what? My sister said it. She, she said it again. 
climate change. Thank you, sister. All these are the what? The beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And ye shall be what? Hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be what? Offended. And shall betray one another. And shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive who? Many. It's interesting, brothers and sisters, when we look at verse 11. And many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. You know, Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 13. In Deuteronomy chapter 13 and verse 4, I believe. Deuteronomy chapter 13 and verse 4. Let me turn there. In Deuteronomy chapter 13 and verse 4. Moses says something very interesting. He says here, starting with verse 1, he says, If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them, Listen to what Moses says. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. Why, Moses? For the Lord your God does what? Proveth you to know whether ye what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So when we look at Matthew chapter 24 and we see that God warns us three times, God is doing what, brothers and sisters? He's proving us. He's proving us to see if we would love God with all our hearts and with all our soul. Brothers and sisters, this is no time to be lackadaisy. God is proving us. If we're not taking our salvation seriously, brothers and sisters, in this time of relatively peace, what are we going to do when the horses come? If we can't keep up with the footmen, you know, brothers and sisters, that you're not going to even try to run with the horses. It's not going to happen. So God is proving us. He's warning us. In verse 13 in Matthew, it says here, verse 12, And because iniquity shall abound, what's that word? The love of many shall what? Wax cold. It's not iniquity abounding, brothers and sisters, in this world. And brothers and sisters, if we don't keep our eyes focused upon the one who is able to keep us from falling, iniquity will cause your love to wax cold. Why will it wax cold, brothers and sisters? Because by beholding, we become... By beholding, we become changed. You know, brothers and sisters, it's not even safe to watch the news. Because all you hear is iniquity abounding, even on the news, brothers and sisters. And don't think that even the news is not affecting you. You heard Pastor say last week that when he first started going out on calls and he would see something very horrific that shook him. But then he said, after a few more times, it didn't even bother him. 
Do you see the effect on the mind by beholding? Now, the same principle bears record of if we continue to behold Christ, the things of this world will begin to grow what? Strangely dim. Do you want this world to grow strangely dim to you? That's the question you have to ask yourselves. Look at number two on your handout. As a matter of fact, I didn't read verse 13. It says, but he that shall what? Endure until the end, the same shall be what? So we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're dealing with long-suffering and we're dealing with endurance and we're also dealing with what? Love. Do you see it? Look at number two. It says, our world is a vast laser house, a scene of misery that we dare not allow even our thoughts to dwell upon. Can we say that in this world today? In our world that we're living in today, can we say that? It says, did we realize it as it is? The burden would be too terrible, yet God fills it all. In order to destroy sin and its results, he gave what? His best beloved, and he has put it in our power through cooperation with him to bring this scene of misery to what? To an end. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then what? Shall the end come? Brothers and sisters, God is about to put an end to sin. As we see sin begin to knock at our door, God is about to step in. Our scripture reading this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, the Bible says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak what? The same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same what? Mind and in the same judgment. Brothers and sisters, we have to be a collective group if we plan on standing against the enemy. He is doing all that he can to destroy this church. And the reason being, brothers and sisters, is because he's afraid of this church. Just like he was afraid of Israel. This is why he attacked Israel. Israel the way he did. Because he knew that something was coming through the line of Israel. And who was that, brothers and sisters? Jesus. This is why we see Israel always up and down, up and down, up and down, because the enemy was relentless against them. Because he knew in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that someone was coming to do what? Crush his head. So he worked relentlessly against Israel so that the Messiah could not come. So now, brothers and sisters, fast forward. He knows that now there's another body of people that is ready, that if they are a collective body, that they are able to crush his head. And we are the only church, and I'm not bragging, brothers and sisters, but the scriptures prove it, and the spirit of prophecy proves it. We are the only church that he fears. And this is why he attacks us so. 
And this is why the Bible continues to remind us that we wrestle not against who? Flesh and blood. We're not one another's enemies. The devil is our enemy. And I'm going to call him out. Because he's our enemy. He hates every last one of us in this room the same. He don't like me and like you. No, no. He hates us all. We all on an equal playing field when it comes to the devil. So this is why we need to be on an equal playing field so that we can stand against him. And the only one who is able to give us that strength is who? Jesus, brothers and sisters. Number three says, I was shown the low state of God's people that God had not departed from them, but they had departed from him and had become what? They possess, they possess the theory of truth, but lack its saving power. As we near the close of time, Satan comes down with great power, knowing that he has what? Especially will his power be exercised upon who? The remnant. Who is the remnant? That's us. It says here, he will do what? War against them and seek to do what? Divide and scatter them. That they may grow what? Weak and be overthrown. Do you see his plan, brothers and sisters? His plan is in our face. And God has revealed it to us, and we still seem to fall. You know, the spirit of prophecy says that God is going to hold us in a greater accountable in a greater accountability than he did Israel. You know why? <laughs> That's right, my sister. Because God has given us more light. And so he's going to hold us in greater accountability. It goes on to say, the people of God should move understandingly and should be united in their efforts. They should be of the same what? Mind of the same judgment. Then their efforts will not be scattered, but will tell forcibly in the upbuilding of the cause of present truth. Order must be observed, and there must be union and maintaining order, or Satan will take the advantage. Do you see it, brothers and sisters? Do you see what our scripture reading is telling us? That there can't be no divisions among us. We got to be a united front if we plan on winning this battle. And brothers and sisters, we all want to go to heaven, don't we? So we got to make some effort to strive against temptation, to strive against the enemy. Turn with me to Romans chapter 13. The book of Romans chapter 13, looking at verse 11. Romans chapter 13. Paul, you know, we are told that outside Jesus, outside of Jesus, Paul was one of the greatest teachers that ever lived. Outside of Christ. And listen to what Paul says. In Romans chapter 13, starting with verse 11, <clears throat> it says here, And that knowing the time, that now it is what? High time to awake out of what? For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. God is telling us, that 
It's time to wake up out of sleep. And you know, brothers and sisters, you remember when Jesus told the disciples to watch and pray when they were in Gethsemane. And every time he came back, he found them what? Sleeping. But that sleep, brothers and sisters, was not a physical deep sleep. They were in a slumber. They were in a slumber. And this is the same thing the enemy is doing to us today. We're not physically asleep, but we're in a slumber. We're almost in a daze to where we're not doing the things that Christ has told us to do. And Christ is telling us in Romans chapter 13 that it's high time to wake out of sleep. Now, I looked up the word salvation. And it says, the act of saving Preservation from destruction, danger, or great calamity. So God is trying to save us from the act of destruction, danger, or great calamity. And then it goes on to say, why is it high time to awake? Because we need to awake out of sin. Sin, a sinful condition, brothers and sisters, is a sleeping condition. If you're in a sinful condition, you're in a sleeping condition. Because that was, that's what sin is. It blinds us. It blind Lucifer. Because he could not tell he could not understand where he was drifting until it was almost too late. Look at number four. It says, Though no man knoweth the day nor the hour of his coming, we are instructed and required to know when it is what? We are further taught that to disregard his warning and refuse or neglect to know when his advent is near will be as fatal for us as it was for those who lived in the days of Noah, not to know when the flood was coming. So, brothers and sisters, as we see the events taking place in the world today, should we not know that Christ's coming is near? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4. 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Starting with verse 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 4. But ye, brethren are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all who? Children of the light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not do what? As do others, but let us watch and do what? Be sober. So let me ask you the question, brothers and sisters. With the things we're seeing taking place in the world today, has, do, has God not given us warning that when we see these things taking place, that his coming is near? Turn with me to Luke. Luke chapter 17. In the book of Luke chapter 17, Luke 17, starting with verse 26. It says here, And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, 
They married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, also, as it was in the days of who? Lot. They did eat. They drank. They bought. They sold. They planted. They built. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So, brothers and sisters, God gives us two Old Testament stories to let us know how it would be just before he comes. He gives us Noah. In Genesis chapter 6, it says in Noah's day that it was what? Evil continually. And then he tells us about the story of Lot. And then it's interesting, brothers and sisters, Peter. Peter talks about the same thing in 2 Peter chapter 2. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. In the book of Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter two, starting with verse five, the Bible says, "And spare not the old world, but save who? Noah, the eighth person, and what does it call Noah? What does, what does he call Noah? A preacher of what? Righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of who? The ungodly. Verse six. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them a what? An example unto those that after should live ungodly. So why did God, what did God give Sodom and Gomorrah to us for? As a what? An example. So when we see these activities these activities that are taking place in our world today and the world uh, is beginning to seem to normalize. The world is seeming to normalize these things. But we are told in Scripture that God gave these things to us for a what? An example to let us know that he does not tolerate those things. Has God changed? God has not changed. And God says in, in verse 7, it says, and delivered who? Just Lot. Look, listen to what it says. Vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Now, listen to what it says of Lot. For that who? That righteous man dwelleth among them and seeing and hearing did what? Vexed his righteous soul from what? Day to day with their unlawful deeds. So we see these two men, the Bible calls them what? Righteous. And brothers and sisters, it says that we sh it would be sinful for us not to know when Jesus coming is near. That's what the quotation says. So let me ask you a question. When sin came knocking at the door of Lot. Listen to me good. When sin came knocking at the door of Lot, was it time for God to step in? Let me ask it this way. Did God step in when sin came knocking at the door of Lot. Because we just read that Lot was a what man? He was a righteous man. So when sin came knocking at the door of the church, did God not step in? I say this for a reason, brothers and sisters. Because the same thing that happened in Lot's day it's happening today. Sin is knocking at the door of our church. The Seventh 
Day Adventist Church. Sin is knocking at our door, brothers and sisters. These things that we just read are happening and being accepted in some of our churches, brothers and sisters. Don't act like you don't know. Don't act like this is a surprise. It's not a surprise. Sin is knocking at the door of the church. So this lets me know, brothers and sisters, that God is about to step in. Because he's not going to tolerate this foolishness much longer. And see, just like righteous Lot, there was a righteous man still where? In Sodom. God has righteous people still in his church. God is long-suffering, brothers and sisters, but he's not going to put up with this foolishness much longer. So this lets me know that we don't have much time, brothers and sisters. We do not have much time. And when you look at (laughs) Genesis chapter 19, verse 7, it says here, Remember Lot pleaded with them, I pray you, brethren, he called these wicked men brethren, do not so wickedly. And the response to them was, you better step back, Lot. And if Lot had not been saved by those men, it would have been fatal for him that day. But the angels snatched him in. And saved Lot's life. Look at number five on your handout. Listen to what it says. There are in the world today many who close their eyes to the evidence that Christ has given to warn men of his coming. Brothers and sisters, let us not close our eyes. Christ has given us all kind of evidence that his coming is near. I can almost hear the approaching footsteps of an angry God. God is loving, but God will also bring judgment. Listen to what it says. They seek to quiet all apprehensions, while at the same time the signs of the end are rapidly fulfilling, and the world is hastening to the time when the Son of Man shall be revealed in the clouds of heaven. Paul teaches that it is sinful to be indifferent to the signs which are to precede the second coming of Christ. Did you hear that? Brothers and sisters, Paul says it is sinful for us to turn a blind eye. He goes on to say, those guilty of this neglect he calls children of the night and of darkness. Brothers and sisters, you have to be asking yourself the question. How long, God? How long till you manifest your power? How long? How long will it be while you allow the world to seem to spin out of a control. Let me ask you a question, brothers and sisters. What is God's power? Now, I gave you the answer earlier in the sermon. God's power is what, Sister Linda? I've read your lips. Long-suffering. Turn with me to Numbers. Turn to me to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers Chapter 14, brothers and sisters, we're going to see what God's power is in Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14, looking at verse, starting with verse 17. Numbers chapter 14. In Numbers chapter 14, here Moses is speaking, and he says, And now... I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great, according as thou hast spoken, saying, the Lord is what? Long-suffering. Did you hear what Moses said? 
He says, he asked the question. He says, according, he says, my Lord, be great according as thou hast spoken, saying, the Lord is what? Long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means doing what? Clearing the guilty, visiting what? The iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the what? Third and fourth what? Generation. Brothers and sisters, there's no fifth generation. It says the third and the fourth generation. If God waited to the fifth generation to finish this work, this church would cease to exist. We're here, brothers and sisters. The time is almost finished. And brothers and sisters, when I see God's power, I see God's power. How do I say this? I see God's power exhibited the most when we look at Calvary. Calvary. We see the power of God at Calvary. Long-suffering. I looked that word up. It says, bearing, in, bearing injuries are provocation for a long time. Not easily provoked. Look what Paul says about the long suffering of God in Romans chapter 15. In Romans chapter 15, Paul basically says the same thing that Moses says about God's power. In Romans chapter 15, Romans chapter 15. Look at verse 5. It says here, Now the God of who? Patience. He says, Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be what? Like-minded, what? One toward another, according to Christ Jesus. We see that Paul and Moses saw the exact same thing of God's power. Now, should not these characteristics be seen in our lives? And they should become brighter and brighter when persecution begins to come upon God's people. Remember that angel? Remember that angel in Revelation chapter 18, verse 1? Do y'all remember that, that angel, that fourth angel? It says, he says, and after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven having what? Great power. And the earth was what? Lightened with his what? Glory. Brothers and sisters, do you know that is going to represent us? And you're going to see what I'm talking about in a minute. Where is it that, let me ask you a question. Where is it that we will see these characteristics the most developed in us. Where is it that we would see, how is it, let me say it this way, how is it that these characteristics and where will we see it the most developed in us? Patience. Where will we see that developed mostly in us? Where will we see it at? 
That's right, sister. In the home. In the home is where God wants to develop patience. Because brothers and sisters, you know, as well as I know, that sometimes we can be more patient to those out there than we are to those in our own household. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'll be quiet, brother. <laughs> God uses the home to develop patience. Long-suffering and endurance. We are more patient with those out there than we are those in our own home. That has to change, brothers and sisters. It has to change. And if we're continuing to fail there, don't even deceive yourselves that you're going to be ready for the persecution to come. God is trying to get us fitted for what's to come, brothers and sisters. And where is he doing it? In the house. It's in the house. I know he's working on me. In my house, he's trying to develop something in me. And I know he's trying to do it in you too. Because Adventist home clearly tells us that. That he's trying to develop. He puts families together so he can develop patience. God, God is a merciful God. Look at verse 6, brothers and sisters. I'm sorry. Uh, number 6 in your handout. Listen to what it says here. It says, now, what we're about to read, brothers and sisters, is the climax of the message. Here we are about to see God's power in living color. Listen to what it says here. It says, Desire of Ages, page 17. It says, while the guard room awaiting his legal trial, he was not protected. The ignorant rabble had seen the cruelty with which he was treated before the council, and from this they took license to manifest all the satanic elements of their nature. Christ's very nobility and godlike bearings goaded them to what? Madness. His meekness, his innocence, his majestic what? Patience. It says, fill them with hatred born of Satan. Mercy and justice were trampled upon. Never was criminal, never was criminal treated in so inhumane and human a manner as was the Son of God. That takes power, brothers and sisters. That takes patience. That's God's power, brothers and sisters. Look at the next one. It says, I, brothers and sisters, I could have gave you a whole chapter of the Desire of Ages on the patience of God. It says here, Herod, with his men of war, set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe. The Roman soldiers joined in this abuse. All that these wicked, corrupt soldiers helped on by Haran and the Jewish dignitaries could instigate was heaped upon the Savior. Listen to this, brothers and sisters. Yet his divine what? Patience failed not. Look at the next one. It says here, Christ's enemies had demand a miracle as evidence of his divinity. They had evidence far greater than any they had sought. As their cruelty degraded his tortured, as their cruelty degraded his torturers below humanity unto the likeness of Satan, so did his meekness and his what? 
patience exalted Jesus above humanity and proved his kinship to God. His abasement was the pledge of his exaltation. The blood drops of agony that from his wounded temples flowed down his face and beard were the pledge of his anointing with the oil of gladness as our great high priest. Brothers and sisters, did you get that? When he was going through this, they didn't. He was being inaugurated. He was being inaugurated to be our high priest. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter one. Hebrews chapter one. Hebrews chapter one, brothers and sisters. Let us look at something here. Hebrews chapter one. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, looking at verse 8. Starting with verse 8. It says here, But unto the Son, he said, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A sceptre of righteousness is the sceptre of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved what? And hated what? Therefore, God, even thy God, have done what? Anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Here we see, brothers and sisters, John chapter 3, John chapter 3, 16 in living color. We see it in living color. John chapter 3, 16. What does it say? That he gave what? That whosoever what? Shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And look what he gave his son you do you see what we just done to him in those quotations we just read but he still gave his son for us turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9 Hebrews chapter 9 Hebrews chapter 9 Hebrews chapter 9 We're almost done, brothers and sisters. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. Listen to what it says. How much more then shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself, what's that? Without spot to God. Here we see in Hebrews 1, that he was anointed for this task. And then he finished the task without what? Spot to God. Remember in John chapter 14, verse 30, the Bible says, the prince of this world cometh, but he has what? Nothing in Christ. So he was a perfect what? Sacrifice. This is why it says that without spot to God, then Look, it goes on to say, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Purge your conscience. And I looked up the word purge. And it says to free from defilement of sin and from false. So do you see in Hebrews chapter 14 it says he purged your conscience, my conscience from dead works to serve the living God. When we look at what God has done for us on Calvary brothers and sisters, this is why we are told as a matter of fact let me ask this question. How did Jesus reveal his power? We just read it. How did he reveal his power? 
But how did he rebuild his power? Who said that? Through suffering. He had patience, but he revealed his power through suffering. That's how his power was revealed, through suffering. This is how God will receive the glory through us, through suffering. This this is why God allows us to go through it. This is why that angel in Revelation chapter 18, when he comes down with great power, brothers and sisters, the very thing that Christ did at Calvary is the very thing we're going to do in the last days. This is just a precursor of what's to come for God's people. But God is going to be glorified through his people. Because he's going to have a people, brothers and sisters. I don't care how bad it looks. God is going to have a people. You have to ask yourself, do you want to be part of the team? That's the only only question. And you have to answer that. No one can answer it for you. You have to answer that question for yourself that you want to be a part of God's team. I want to be a part of it, brothers and sisters. I don't know about you. God has done too much, so much for me. Now, do you understand now? Do you understand now that we are told, we are told, when we look at the closing scenes of Christ's life, we saw three things. We saw patience, we saw long-suffering, and what else we saw? Endurance. That's what we talked about earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 and 7. Now, we have been told in Maranatha chapter 77. Now you're going to understand this more clearly when we are told. It says, it would be well. And you know, you know the quotation. You've heard it. You've all read it. It would be well to spend a thoughtful hour each day reviewing the life of Christ from the manger to Calvary. We should take it point by point and let the imagination vividly grasp each scene and especially finish it. The closing ones. Especially the closing ones. Why, brothers and sisters? Because if we examine those closing scenes of Christ's ministry, Christ's life, earthly life, if we examine that, brothers and sisters, it would have what? An effect on us. No doubt about it. Try it. Try it. I dare you. Try it. And see if your heart Your life will not be changed. Try it. Do you want to get out of the lukewarm condition she just said we're in? Try it. Spend a thoughtful hour each day examining this, what we just read. Did you see what your Savior just went through? And I just, I took just the nice ones. It was something even worse than that. What he went through for us. And here we won't give up whatever it is that's besetting us. Do you know, brothers and sisters? Do you know when we become weary? You know how we become weary? Do you know how we become weary? When we begin to start partaking of things we once put off. When we put this off, not eating this, not wearing this, and then all of a sudden, brothers and sisters, it starts to, starts to creep back in. You know you get weary. Do you know it wearies you? And you're going to get wearier and wearier 
until real to to you till finally it doesn't even bother you anymore. This is how the enemy is trying to lure us to sleep. Revelation chapter 14, number seven. In Revelation chapter 14, we see God's denominated people. In Revelation chapter 14, his denominated people, we see it. It says, who are these? God denominated people. Those who on this earth have witnessed to their loyalty. Who are they? Those who have kept the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Those who have owned the crucified one in their Savior. Now, brothers and sisters, now I hope that you can see Revelation chapter 14, verse 12, a little more clear. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 12, what does it say? Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep or guard the commandments of God and have what? The faith of Jesus. Now, I just gave you a glimpse of how it should be done. We saw Christ's power through his what? Suffering. We saw how patience was developed. We saw long-suffering. And we saw that, what did Christ say? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Are we ready for those words to come out of our mouths? To forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And they don't know what they're doing, brothers and sisters, because they are under a satanic influence. And when you are under satanic influence, you are out of your Brothers and sisters, have you decided to follow Jesus? That's the question you have to ask yourself. Have you decided to follow Jesus all the way? Because if you decide to follow him all the way, your Savior will lead you all the way. Brothers and sisters, if you decided to follow Jesus this morning, if you have made up your mind that you want to follow Jesus all the way, I'm going to ask you to come to the front. But if not, brothers and sisters, God is long-suffering. But if you decide to follow him all the way, brothers and sisters, because time is short. Time is short. I'm going to ask my brother, Brother Bridges, will you pray a consecrated prayer that God's people have decided they have decided, brothers and sisters, to pray. They, they decided to follow Jesus all the way. <clears throat> if you can, brothers and sisters, let us kneel. Our gracious, loving, heavenly Father, our God of Abraham, our God of Isaac, and our God of Jacob. Dear Lord, your presence has been felt here this morning. This is a word that each and every one of us here needed to hear this morning. We prayed all week for you to use our brother in a mighty way. We ask you, Lord, to give us a meet in due season that we all desperately need 
as we were told earlier, at this point in time in Earth's history. We are mere seconds, microseconds, as it were, from midnight. Each and every individual here that, that came forward, Lord, has answered the call. Yes. We need the power and leading and grace and long-suffering of your Holy Spirit, the third person of the eternal Godhead. We need him. In Luke chapter 2, Simeon, who'd been waiting for years for the appearance of the Messiah, his prayer was that he would see the Messiah before his death. He called Jesus the consolation of Israel. Consolation in the original Greek meaning, literally meaning, to comfort or a comforter. The second comforter is the Holy Spirit, another comforter. Lord, we need him. Please imbue and bless each and every one of us with a portion, a major portion of your spirit, that we would hearken to the words, the solemn words that were spoken from the pulpit this morning, from the desk, that we would not hear them, that we would hearken, and that we would begin to implement, starting not next week, or 2024, but today, on this Sabbath day. Please, Lord, give us a spirit of purpose, of procedure, of urgency, and not delay is our prayer. We thank you for using our brother today. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your word. Please help us, Lord, to assimilate, digest, and appropriately move forward in faith with this message as our prayer. We thank, ask, and love you. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. Amen.